Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, professors, public servants, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Phil Beverly, moderate Republican David Cohn, Brian Lambrick, Libertarian, and pro-Trump nationalist Jennifer Nevins. Our program tonight, company of Marl Base at the Paul and Angel Harvey Studios in downtown Chicago in the National Radio Hall of Fame studio. And again, that's at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in downtown Chicago. Thanks for being with us tonight. Phil Beverly, you're one of our Democrats. You're our sole Democrat this evening, at least your card-carrying Democrat. Based on, on the way in which uh, what you've seen of the hearings and the way the hearings have been, co- have been covered, do you think there's enough new evidence out there that's going to change the mind of any United States senator or many independent voters that voted for Donald Trump four years ago? Um, no senators. I think they're pretty much set. Um, and that's, that's ironic because acting as jurors for them to have opinions about something without having seen the evidence is a little sort of questionable to me. I think there's a very small percentage of, of independent voters that will be swayed. I think it's a small percentage. Jennifer Nevins also joins us. She is the closest thing to a pro-Trumper this evening. Uh, what's your reaction, Jennifer? Closest thing. I'm like totally all in. But anyway, uh, my impression, um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think everything's baked into the cake. I think that people who are against Trump are still against Trump. People who are for Trump are still for Trump. And I think it does pinch on the independence, just like the election in 2020 will. I think the polling, and I'm really gratified by this, uh, seems to indicate that this is not gaining traction with the independents. But yes, I suppose there is a remnant for whom uh, the impeachment hearings are going to carry some weight. David Cohn, you are a moderate Republican with the Union League Club. Nice to have you back with us. Um, do you has this been some uh, has there been benefit to these hearings or has it been a waste of time? I think there's been benefit to going through the process and having uh, a process go forward as it did previously with with other impeachments to see whether there is evidence that the president engaged in misconduct that rises to the level of impeachment. The Constitution spells out that duty for the House. And in my view, and, you know, I was someone who was a Hill staffer during the Clinton impeachment mm-hmm. and watched that play out. I think that there has been a parade of witnesses that have established with great credibility that there is something there, there. The question now is, as Phil has suggested, uh, whether this is going to move anyone who had a hardened position on the president before the hearings began. But I think there's a lot of material to consider. Brian Lambrick, you are our card-carrying, literally card-carrying libertarian from DuPage County, just west of Chicago. What's your reaction to what you've heard and, and read about thus far? My reaction is that this is dreadfully boring and it's going on and on. And the problem with libertarians when it comes to an impeachment trial is that we basically believe every president within our lifetime, possibly even going back to Woodrow Wilson, as uh, Judge Napolitano recently said in an interview with Nick Gillespie for Reason, that there's so many reasons for every president to be impeached that the fact that it's coming up now over something like this seems silly and seems trivial. We've been going to war without getting a declaration of war from Congress, which has to authorize that. We've had two presidencies where that's happened. Why has there been no talk of impeachment for that? Is it silly? He said silly stuff. Is, is this, 
Has this been an exercise in silliness, Phil? No, I don't think so. I think it's the, the constitutional obligation for oversight, if for no other reason. And I, I, I think people don't understand the two parts of it. Well, he's not going to get removed, so they shouldn't do it. It's like, well, nah, no. The House has its responsibility, and as long as it carries out its constitutional responsibility, I'm, I'm satisfied with that. Right. I don't care if he's removed or not. And personally, I'd prefer if he wasn't removed. Mm-hmm. I'd rather it come down to a vote. Cause, and not hearing him say, oh, it's by all the public. fixed. A vote by exactly. the public. Okay. Exactly. Let the voters decide this, but let them decide knowing full well this is who you get. And, and I'm not saying that, that what he did was silly. I'm saying the procedures that, that, that's dragging everybody through it is silly with the money and the time that's being uh, spent on it. As, as I mentioned earlier before, uh, this week we had a reauthorization of the Patriot Act for another 90 days with, that was buried inside a spending bill. To me, that's a huge problem. That thing itself is unconstitutional on so many levels. So to hear you say we have a constitutional problem with the president did, uh, breaking the Constitution never seems to be something that the executive or legislative branch cares about previously. Why now is it suddenly an issue? Jennifer. I think that the main danger of what happened, whether you think that the Democrats were justified in doing what they did or you don't, which in my case, I think obviously that they don't, is that now there's a new precedent that the Republicans uh, can use or other Democrats can use that you can do impeachment hearings any old time you feel like it. You can base it on hearsay, which is really what Sondland and Harris and other people actually had to admit, they all admitted, that what they had was presumption. They overheard things. They heard it second, third, or fourth hand. And so what is to stop the next uh, administration when the House does flip? At some point, it will flip back to the Republicans. And if there's a Democrat president, what is that to stop them from saying, you know what? The bar has been lowered, and we want to impeach over hearsay because that's the new precedent that we have, and David the Democrats Cullen, are to blame. Do you see it that way? No, not at all. I have to push back here because we have had testimony. We have seen testimony from witnesses that goes well beyond hearsay. No, uh, with people who have had direct conversations with the President of the United States. Ooh, which we, one? There's been, well, Ambassador Sondland, for one. No, he said it was presumption. Th- th- well, look. That it was presumption. Th- there is an overwhelming body of evidence that has no. been produced demonstrating that the President attempted to use the office that he holds, uh, the, the uh, promise of military aid, which, by the way, had been appropriated by the U.S. Congress. I used to work for an appropriator. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president decided to withhold that money and to withhold the promise of a White House meeting in exchange uh, for this meeting, uh, for, for rather for the Ukrainians to act upon uh, this uh, conspiracy David, theory David, and to specifically announce an investigation into political domestic rivals. David, because you mentioned that you, you worked on the Hill uh, with an appropriator, uh, John, John Edward Porter, former congressman from the North Shore, do you believe in your heart this is the first time any president has ever used leverage, I'll say leverage, to get what they want from a foreign nation that was waiting for foreign aid? I don't believe that's the first time that leverage has been used, but the question is to what, from what was the motivation for that leverage? In this case, there's compelling evidence to suggest that the leverage that the president was using was to advance his own personal political interests. Mm-hmm. In the, and in that's, the past, that, that but, is the difference between this case and what we've seen in the past. But in the past, where you acknowledge this may have happened, would you acknowledge that in all cases what was asked for or what was needed by our president was something that probably helped them politically. It's possible. We, one can't know for sure what happened in years and decades before. 
But, you know, in the modern era with information flowing more freely than it has ever before, this is a question that has been suggested is going to be defined and determined by the House. Are there sufficient grounds for adopting articles of impeachment? And if those get over to the Senate, do those senators believe that there is sufficient evidence to convict? Now, let me say something. Jennifer talked about a precedent. The other precedent that's being set here is the precedent that says if a president of the United States wants to use appropriated funds as well as other kinds of favors that he or she is in a position to grant to compel a foreign nation to engage in uh, what is basically domestic political concerns of the United States, is that okay? When we come back, we'll follow up on that. I'm Bruce Dumont, live from the National Radio Hall of Fame studio in Chicago. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theater's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers count. Really escaped with our lives. Bruce Dumont, back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, Jennifer, you wanted to make a point during the break about uh, uh, where you think uh, Congress has overstepped its bounds going after the president. I don't know if I. By the way, would would you you acknowledge that um, the testimony has brought out and may not may not have proven to your liking? They've brought out the possibility that the president might have used his influence to try to get information on the Biden investigation into Burisma. Yeah, I think maybe that's, he would have loved to have seen that happen, absolutely. Um, But what I find interesting is now we're getting into the realm, once again, of presumption, and now we need to divine Trump's intentions. It's not enough to look at the actions. Yes, aid was released. No, nobody heard him firsthand. That's why Sondland said that it was presumption. He said it multiple times. It was presumption. We had someone else say he could hear Trump on the other end of the line, even though it wasn't on speakerphone, and that was kind of proven by Cuomo to be, Chris Cuomo to be kind of a farce. Um, So, you know, yeah, so now we're... spoke loudly. He spoke loudly, that's right. Um, And so that's what he's basing it on. Why was Sondland talking to the President of the United States on a regular cell phone? Nobody Uh, was asking whether that was a secure cell phone. I have no idea. There's been a lot of questions. It's not a secure cell phone. So why is he talking to the President? this is a president who has compromised national security on numerous occasions. Well, Sondland had a problem. And so I'm not surprised that that would happen. It must drive the Secret Service and the NSA crazy the way the guy communicates. I think it was just because he wanted to demonstrate the access he had to the president in the presence of all these other witnesses. Right. It was simply an ego stroke, frankly. Okay. You know, I, I want to make a, a point. When and, do, and, and do you do you agree that what uh, what I forgot his name overheard mm-hmm. the, the young aide who testified Holmes, I believe, yes, Holmes. Yes. Holmes. Do you believe that? Uh, when he asked Sunland what had been said, Sunland gave a summary 
of what the president said. He did not say he heard the president say certain things. He said the president was loud and he was there. But he asked Sunland after the phone conversation what the president said, and then he gave his interpretation. Well, of not not quite. He asked Sunland, what does the president really think about Ukraine? Right. And Sunland's response, without hesitation, is the president doesn't give an expletive about Ukraine. Right. Th- that was the word, those were the words that he heard directly from Ambassador Sunland. So that was not speculation. He asked him about the president's views that, on Ukraine. Could, could that be Sunland's interpretation of what the president said? Or do you think it was so uh, egregious that there was no interpretation needed on that? Well, when someone was pressed about this at the hearings, he said, yeah, that sounds like something I would say. And, And I don't think that he said it casually. I think he said it because having had a relationship with the president, having been a major donor to the president, having been appointed by the president to be the ambassador to the EU, he had a pretty good idea of how the president's mind works and what the president's views are. And he was sharing those candidly. And I don't know what we're arguing about, though, with this. Because now we're into this, well, uh, Trump doesn't care a whit about Ukraine. That's interesting because Trump is the only president. Obama certainly didn't give the Ukraine what they were looking for at all. He told the Ukraine basically to pound sand. And Joe Biden literally told the Ukrainians to pound sand unless you do X, Y, and Z. And that is in Biden's own words. That is not a canard. That is in, that is in his own words. Okay, let me, so let, what, ha- oh, excuse me, what happened with Trump? What happened with Trump is the aid was released. A lot of aid was released. So however Trump felt, we know that he's not a big fan of foreign aid. He came into office saying, we need to reevaluate this foreign aid. So he reevaluated the foreign aid. And I have to say, and David says he's a moderate Republican, and I believe him, there are a lot of moderate Republicans, people in the shadows, people who've worked for both administrations, we've been hearing that a lot lately, who are very much against Trump. Some of us like to call it the deep state. This None of this would have been possible if we didn't have moderate Republicans and liberal Republicans and people who are against Trump under the Republican banner pushing this through and cheerleading this through. Well, first of all, we don't have any idea what the political affiliations of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman or the others who testified are. We just don't know that. Secondly, when Vice President Biden was trying to put pressure to remove the corrupt prosecutor who was then in charge of Ukrainian prosecutorial powers, he was doing so in concert with virtually every other democratically elected Mm -hmm. nation in Europe. There was widespread condemnation of the the prosecutor's corruption. It's not as if Joe Biden was going in there trying to get somebody out of power as his own personal mission. He was that was official U.S. policy at the time. And it his was son just happened to make fifty was million was dollars. Was, was, he, was official U.S. policy oh, at the time? God. Was he wrong when he said? And he has said this himself. He's congratulated himself for saying it. Was he wrong when he said this guy's got this guy's got to be out within six hours, or you're not getting your money? Now. How how is that different from what people think Trump did? Because he was articulating U.S. policy, Bruce. U.S. policy at the time, the Obama administration's policy, was that this corrupt prosecutor should be removed. It was a view held by numerous other democracies across Europe. But he was he was holding up appropriated money, and and that appropriated money was not going to be released unless this other nation acted in the way that he wanted it to happen. They, they, and that investigation included uh, activities of his son. They, they wanted an actual prosecutor in there who had some integrity, not somebody who had a history of corruption and mistrust. 
Uh, why can't we give... A, Ryan, you, do you see a difference here? here here's the problem. Uh, talking about congressionally approved funding for things, I, I was specifically looking to see when this had happened in other administrations. It happened a lot. Bush did it with 35 other nations to, to get their support before he, he went into Iraq and Afghanistan. He specifically put a call out and said, if you want us to continue supporting you, paying for all of your UN, whatever projects you want, you're going to have to back us on this. Pro quo. And if you want to call... Yeah, if you want... Um, However you want to call it, the word they're using now is bribery. I think it may be more extortion. Uh, President Obama did it also with regards to CIA torture. There were other countries that we were trying to cover up the torture that had happened during the Bush years, and Obama basically ended up uh, uh, cutting it by outsourcing it to the Saudi Arabians and the Pakistanis, so they could do it much more ethically now than we did. But the point is these were other examples of them holding back money from other nations in order to get what they wanted, and they did it, and nobody talked about impeachment when but that happened. what either they incident. wanted is the point. It wasn't for personal or political gain. Correct. It was in the interest of the country. You may not agree with Obama's policy positions, but they are the policy positions of the United States, not of Barack Obama, not of George W. Bush. If Bush wants countries to get on board with him going into Iraq and says, look, I'd really like to help you with that, but I'm going to Iraq and you're going to... I may disagree with us going to Iraq because it was a huge mistake militarily, and th there was no gain for him personally. But he wasn't trying to get something at the advantage to disadvantage a political rival. So there was, That's important. There was here. nothing that Biden was going or the Biden family was going to get out of having the head, the person investigating Burisma, out. And this is the board that Joe, that his son, Hunter Biden, was on, was the board of Burisma. There's no conflict of interest there whatsoever. I find it interesting that we are not supposed to question Joe Biden's motives. No, we are, but we are supposed to question to, but Who we are said supposed that? You are giving him the benefit that? of the I, doubt. I think that it that. had... David said How it when you said, excuse me, when you're saying that this is government policy, and why isn't Barack Obama or anybody else in the Western Alliance coming forward and saying, leave Joe Biden alone? That was our policy that he came there to represent. But we haven't heard anybody say that. It's been crickets. So the, I, by the way, I don't to, believe the, it. to the contrary, in, in, during the interrogation of, of one of the witnesses, uh, it, was, it was brought to everyone's attention that uh, when this was the, the, the when, when she was being. Uh, before the Senate for a confirmation during the Obama administration. Who's she? The, the ambassador. Uh, Lusansko? Uh, no. Yeah, no, the uh, the woman. Uh, Dr. Rice. Dr. Rice. When Dr. Rice was testifying, uh -huh. it was brought up that when she was under, when she was before the Senate during the Obama administration for an appointment that was she was going at that point, the Obama administration came to her and briefed her on on the Biden. They had the Obama administration had concerns about mm -hmm. the appearance of impropriety involving Vice President Biden okay. and and the son's involvement with Burisma. Right. So the the Obama administration was aware of this. This was not a surprise. The, the national media well, never made a I'm point of it. I'm talking about did, he, did the Obama administration and the Western Alliance, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, he was just doing the bidding of the Western Alliance. Did they sign off on Joe Biden saying, if you don't remove this particular prosecutor? We don't, we don't know that. That's what I'm saying. Well, we don't know that. Well, it'd be nice if they spoke up, because if Joe Biden is being targeted, I mean, he's a Democrat candidate, he's close to, to Barack Obama, hasn't gotten his well, endorsement you know, yet. See, How let, come let, we let, haven't let, heard anything? Let's ask the 60 
$64 question to, to you, Professor, because the last time we were on this program, you said you did not see anything. There was no appearance of impropriety between Vice President Biden and his son in Burisma, which kind of shocked me that you said that. But how, how badly, if at all, has Joe Biden been hurt by all of this conversation in the national dialogue? I think he's been hurt politically, not by the conduct, but, but by it becoming a distraction. And it, it provides an opportunity for people who might, not, might have tepid support because he's sort of the establishment guy and support him because he's the establishment guy and he can beat Trump and all whatever that narrative is to say, well, maybe I can look at somebody else. And then I think you see the party sort of now spiraling a little bit going, oh, we need another establishment guy because we can't go with, you know, Mayor Pete and we can't go with, you know, Bernie because he's just angry and Elizabeth Warren too far out on the left. But so, other, de- other you know, Democrats have publicly acknowledged that there was an appearance of impropriety. Right. And that appearance wasn't good. And that appearance was known by the Obama administration. I know Susan Rice was asked about this and she said, well, she said it was it was common knowledge. She said it was common knowledge. I don't recall ever reading stories at that particular time about about this situation. No. It wasn't common knowledge. No. Well, it might it, have been common knowledge within the administration. Well, it certainly it, wasn't known by the general. I want to hear your answer, but we do have to pause. 1-800-723-8029 from the National Radio Hall of Fame studio in Chicago from coast to coast and border to border and around the world. This is Beyond the Beltway. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up or donate at Movember.com to help change the face of men's health. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives like physical therapy to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area.
notes on what Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Let me now take a moment to let our guests introduce themselves, and we will begin tonight with our libertarian, Brian Lambrecht. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm a proud libertarian living here in Illinois, uh, supporting the rights of gay married couples to own guns to defend their marijuana plants. Basically, don't hurt others and don't take their stuff. That's what we're all about. Okay. David Cohn joins us. David? Thanks, Bruce. Uh, Dave Cohn, I've uh, been involved in government and politics for most of my adult life, worked for a member of the uh, U.S. congressional delegation from Illinois, Congressman John Porter for many years. And as Bruce has mentioned, I was on the Hill when uh, President Clinton was impeached. Uh, then I went to work for the lieutenant governor of Illinois at that time, Corinne Wood, and uh, last 15 years I've been director of public affairs at the Union League Club of Chicago. What was the tone on, on – you were a staffer during the impeachment. What was the tone uh, on Capitol Hill when that was going on, and, and was much other – legislation actually happening? Well, you know, it's interesting you should ask that. The tone was obviously pretty <clears throat> confrontational between Democrats and Republicans. It wasn't quite as pronounced. The vitriol wasn't quite as high as you see it today. But, in fact, the regular legislative process was going forward as, in fact, I suspect, it is going forward right now. Just because you have the Intelligence Committee or the Judiciary Committee holding these hearings doesn't mean the rest of the work of the Congress stops. And you'll recall that during the last uh, hearing, I think it was the last day of hearings that they just held, they had to suspend because there were votes on the House floor. So legislative activity doesn't cease when an impeachment hearing is going on. Jennifer Neverns, tell everybody who you are. I am Jennifer. I am a nationalist conservative and uh, I am often referred to as the original Trumper because when there were 17 people on that debate stage, I was for Donald Trump. And uh, I am happy to be here as always. What does a nationalist mean? Um, a nationalist is what Trump means. Uh, he really articulates what nationalism is. It's not any nonsense like nationalist, uh, socialist nonsense that people want to say it is. It is about caring about your country, America first, for all people who are here legally in this country, regardless of religion, creed, national origin, or anything else. And it is caring for our interests, America's interests, and uh, moving this country forward. Phil Beverly. I'm a adjunct professor and uh, full-time administrator at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Um, unfortunately, tonight, here appearing on your show, Bruce, uh, having learned that one of my students was killed this weekend um, on campus, um, her death is being investigated, so I want to send my condolences out to Ruth George's family, especially her mom. Mm -hmm. Very sorry to hear that. Uh, in case you've just tuned in, our phone number is 1-800-723-8289. If you would like to email me a comment, it's BruceDumont2019 at Gmail. If you want to tweet me a comment, it is at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. If you go to our website, which is beyondthebeltway.com, you not only can see and hear this program, but again, past programs. If you ever miss it, that's where it is. And of course, we are live on Facebook and we are live on YouTube. And let's go to calls. Let's go to Andy listening to us in Auburn, New York on WUAB, way up in upstate New York. Nice to hear from you tonight. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, love your show. Thank you. Um, all right, just one fact that I need to <clears throat> fact check here. And if I'm wrong, you go ahead and correct me. But okay. as I understand it, and I keep hearing it said incorrectly to push an agenda, in my opinion, Joe Biden proudly got this prosecutor fired. And it was quid pro quo, but it was policy to benefit the United States, not to benefit him personally. 
because the prosecutor was not investigating Joe Biden's son. The prosecutor was not investigating Burisma. And I've heard that said over and over. It's not true. As far as I, unless you can correct me on that, I'm pretty sure that prosecutor had no, was no threat to Joe Biden's son or Burisma. I, th- I, th- I think I'll let me just correct if if there was a misinterpretation of what I said that that uh, this was about Joe Biden's son. Uh, I don't I don't think that was the case. Burisma ha- was being investigated because they were sort of legendary and I guess are legendary within the Ukraine of uh, being somewhat of a dicey company. So the investigation was going on into Burisma, but I don't think they were specifically looking at the role of the vice president's son at that time. Well, it would it would mean like one of your guests said, it would mean that the entire the, the entire uh, international community all got together to protect Burisma. If if that if that uh, the way things are being described is accurate, which I don't think it is, Joe Biden was following the policy, international and national policy, right. not doing something on his own. No, I, I don't think anyone was suggesting that he was doing anything on his own. Was it was it coincidental? I mean, I guess the the question that I ask. And I've asked, and, and I think this is where this is where uh, uh, you know Phil Beverly and I disagree. Uh, when you were the vice president of the United States, and you have the responsibility for a you know portion of the world that includes Ukraine, I don't think it's a good idea for your son to accept a position, a paid position, as a member of the board of a company within that country that has a dicey background. He either said, should have said to his dad, should I, should I take this? And, and I think the conversation between father and son would be, you know, this may be a good opportunity, but really, leave this one alone. This one, this, this one could explode on you and us. And Absolutely. I think that's, that was inappropriate. That, right. But, but that, see, that's my concern. That's inappropriate. I agree, by the way, I agree that I think the conversation with the president was inappropriate. The president should not have done that. I don't think that was a good idea for him to do it. Whether it's impeachable, whether you throw a guy out with less than a year to go, that's what I don't agree with. I want the voters to decide, and again, you know, whether the voters, you know, whichever way they decide, I mean, the point is the Democrats right now, have a, they're having a field day by adding, throwing more uh, dirt or reality on Donald Trump, and it's just, it's more information for people to decide whether or not they're going to reelect him uh, you know, come uh, November of next year. Sure, and that's I mean, the that's I, the real battle that we're that we're fighting. This is all about that. I'm a hardcore liberal, and if if Trump was doing, he's <clears> not. <throat> he's a repugnant in my mind. But if he was doing the stuff that I wanted him to do, I would ignore all of the stuff that he's being condemned for. His personality, his tweets, groping, all this stuff. I would ignore if he was doing. <laughs> My number one policy concerns. I would ignore it. Is it naturally? Jennifer? I don't see. Of course, you would. <clears throat> I mean, it's called being self-interested. Those of us who are on the right side of the aisle are happy with the policies and, and the economic numbers and, and different the prison reform. Uh, today, uh, he just he's he's done a raft of legislation. Uh, 
justices being put on courts all over the place. So we look at this similar to how you look at it, sir, which is we are happy with what he's doing. Therefore, we don't want him to be impeached. So what you're saying resonates with me, but you admitted yourself that impeachment is actually secondary to your ideology, which I'm not faulting you for. I think we all, to one extent or another, believe this. If you are invested with what the president is doing, you do not want to see him impeached, even if, even if you think that what he did was untoward, shouldn't have done it, and inappropriate. Well, David, uh, I, I think the, the problem here is that we've gotten so far away from the concept that Americans can come to uh, our political process with different viewpoints and different ideologies, but somehow have a shared set of values that we all agree are important to the survival of this democratic republic, like respect for the Constitution, like respect for the co-equal branches of government, like presidential adherence to uh, protocol and precedent and the rules that are supposed to <clears throat> govern political and uh, uh, legislative behavior in this country. When we dismiss those because we like the ends that are achieved by not upholding those principles, we do set da dangerous precedents. And I would say to those who are concerned about uh, having an impeachment hearings going on, um, the, the proof will be whether or not the American people tell their elected representatives in the House that these are offenses that rise to the level of articles of impeachment, and one of the senators hear from their constituents that they think that the president ought to be removed for those things. Brian's got a response, and, and Phil's got a response, and Jennifer's got a response. Thank Andy, you. asked some good questions. Stay right on the line. Yes. Go ahead, Brian. I, I got a problem when people want to talk about defending <clears throat> the Constitution, and they want to talk about ideals in the country, when there were so many things people were willing to look over. Uh, when we went to, you know, again, just in my lifetime, uh, you know, we go to war in, in a couple different countries over uh, the president giving false information to Congress to give him approval for it. Then we have another president who ran on an anti-war platform, didn't get congressional approval, and invaded five more countries and set a new record for drone kills. And as we keep moving on, this does two things. One, these are unconstitutional and they're unethical. They're wrong on so many levels. But the other problem is that then those precedents get passed on. Right now, Trump technically has the, has the ability, if anyone wants to stop him, because nobody did it to the last guy, to murder a U.S. citizen on foreign soil with a drone. That would, should have never happened. That should have been that, – that was incredibly criminal. But if those things slide, we just increase the power of the presidency of the executive branch. And then what it does is it actually takes away power from the legislative branch, which impeachment is a very powerful tool, as my friend Paul said earlier, it one of the most powerful tools in the Constitution, and, and it never gets used except for something silly like this that comes up. There's a, a dozen things that Trump could be impeached on, legitimate things he's done in the last three years. This is like an excuse people can use to go through to try to get him on something to score political points. That's all I see. Phil? I agree, and if you support him on <coughs> the Kurds, uh, I, I just don't know what to say. Well, that betrayal has affected troops in the field. And his relationship with the military and, and him wait, you know, wrapping himself in the flag is fine. And it's, it's mm, questionable. I need, to, I, I need to speak to that. We, when we, we come, come back, back. Uh, we got a break coming up. Andy, listen, thank you very much for calling. You're, you're one you. of the early, I think, I don't know if you're the only caller that's ever called in from uh, upstate New York. Uh, but you're certainly a, a, a recent one, and we thank you very much. You come from one of the most beautiful areas of the United States, the Finger Lakes, and uh, it's good to hear from you tonight. Hopefully uh, the lake hasn't frozen over yet. Back shortly.
Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theater's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. When someone hears the words, you have cancer, it's one of the darkest moments in their life. Light the Night brings light to the darkness of cancer by uniting survivors, patients, and supporters in the cause to end cancer. We form a community of hope, raising funds in support of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The discoveries made by LLS-supported research have led to breakthrough treatments for many cancers and other serious diseases. When we walk, cancer runs. Join the movement to end cancer today. Visit us at lightthenight.org. Bruce Dumont uh, back in Chicago. For those watching on television, YouTube, we just uh, showed a little video that we had uh, of Finger Lakes, New York. Our last caller was uh, calling from there. And again, uh, if you've never been, uh, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not being paid to say this, if you've never been to upstate New York. And again, it took me a long time to get there. It really is one of the most beautiful regions of the United States. First of all, you don't think you're in New York. There's just so much beauty around it. But again, uh, Finger Lakes, one of our uh, also one of our uh, oldest affiliates now. Good to hear from them tonight. Great let's, vineyards. Yes, let's go to uh, David listening to us uh, in San Francisco. He's listening on our website. Go ahead. Yeah, regarding the um, the impeachment 
I, I'm really surprised that the Republicans are pretending that America has gotten within 100 miles of Moscow. You know, if you look at Ukraine on a map, and you see that we're sending weapons within 100 miles of Moscow, and, you know, it's as if ever since 1918, when the Tsar fell and the Soviet Union was created, we've been trying to bring them down. The Cold War spent multiple billions, you know, probably trillions on the Cold War. And now, when we're 100 miles away and Trump cuts off the spigot, and leaves the Ukraine defenseless, the Republicans are all for it. It's like, are they capitalists anymore? Are they, you know, what's what's the story on this? So, you know, there's obviously something very strange going on. And again, I, I reiterate the old uh, line that organized crime pretty much runs Moscow right now. Organized crime is the oligarchs. And organized crime is not a government, and so we should probably give statehood, offer statehood to Russia, and then we'd be able to investigate these oligarchs. We could RICO them, and we could balance America's budget. Okay. Jennifer, let's, let's speak to the bigger, broader issues that uh, okay. uh, we're within 100 miles of Moscow, according to David. I'm not really understanding what that what that remark really was. Um, being a hundred miles in front, I think that, he, and I maybe I'm reading between the lines that he thinks that maybe we are in Russia's hip pocket and that we are cl in close proximity uh, to Russia, which might feed into the caller's view that possible view that Trump is beholden to Putin and doing Putin's bidding by holding up. The is that what you Ukraine? mean, David? I, I'm not sure. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah I, I thought much. that might be where you were going with this. Um, but let me let, let me let me let me ask this question, um, and. If if the Democrats believe that Donald Trump is either a Russian agent or beholden to Russia, all right, he becomes president of the United States, and it is if you go beyond all the controversy that we're dealing with right now as to whether or not he used his influence to try to get uh, an investigation into Brisma made public by Ukraine. I mean, they had done the only investigation of it, so he figured, let's go to the people that have done the investigation because I'm not going to trust my CIA and FBI to do it. But what came out of that is the aid that, uh, that the president sent and the Trump administration and the Republican Congress sent, they were, uh, they, they were stronger weapons. Mm -hmm. They were not. They were not what Obama sent. They were the javelins. I mean, the ja everyone that testified, even the people that testified last week, they all acknowledged that the president's sending of javelins was a far more significant move against the Russians than anything that had happened in the previous administration. Even though some of them were part of the the past administration, and so Dr. Rice was was one that said that. So. What is your answer to the question is, if you believe that Donald Trump is a tool of uh, Russia, uh, David, then why would he send a stronger uh, military armaments to fight them in Ukraine, as you say, 100 miles from Moscow? Well, he didn't send it. So, in other words, for two and a half months, those weapons didn't he did, show he up. Did, he did Congress, send them. No, they, did, Congress, they, did not, they did not show up for eight years 
of the Obama administration, and they did not show up. You know, the 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 uh, the incursion into Ukraine that happened on Barack Obama's watch, and his well, response I, I, was to send blankets and and lesser military armaments. He okay, wasn't there, sending there jab, multiple, javelins, and again, there, no one said that 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 Barack Obama was in the pocket of Russia. Uh, Phil, Phil Beverly. So, is yeah. it is it possible that? President Obama didn't want to escalate, right, because it could escalate if he sends javelins, knowing that he is ideologically opposed to Vladimir Putin. Putin can take that and escalate further. He knows with Trump he can send it, but it's not going to involve an escalation. If you if you go with, uh, oh, he's an unwitting or witting Russian agent or whatever that nonsense is. See, I think the, the thing with Putin is, isn't is about Trump. That's the diversion. That's the mascarova that the Russians do. It's about undermining our democracy, which we don't want to talk about. Our democracy David, has been undermined. David, and, and first, we have to remember that uh, <clears throat> there was uh, the congressional authorization for flow of weaponry at that time was different. But I think that the, all this stuff about... Uh, the president's relationship with Putin, that, that's, that's a needless distraction. The fact is that the military a- aid and armament that had been withheld had been approved by the Congress, and it was released only after the whistleblower complaint became public and the public pressure to release it became too extreme for the administration to ignore. That's the picture that appears to be uh, uh, coming about As right part now. of that picture, would you acknowledge that there's some in Ukraine that didn't even know it was on hold? Uh, there may have been some, but we've had witnesses from, from Dr. Rice and others uh, working for the State Department indicating that they were getting frantic emails and calls from their counterparts in Ukraine saying, what's the problem with the military aid? Where's so the money? Where's they the did money? know about it. All right. On that note, we are out of our number, out of our broadcast and our discussion, out of the broadcast, out of the discussion for our number one. I'm Bruce Dumont from Coast to Coast and Border to Border, live every Sunday night from the National Radio Hall of Fame studio in Chicago. Back shortly with another full hour. Don't move from where you are. how much someone drinks. Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, 
partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life, made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway, wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. Nice to have you with us. Uh, and we now have someone who's joining us from Kendall. His name is Kendall, and he's joining us from Dalton, uh, South Dakota. Go ahead, Kendall. You're on the air. There's about 38 people in your town, right? Uh, yeah, we got more dogs than people. Okay, well, what can we do for you today? Nice to hear from you. Well, I'm kind of a little confused sometimes. Uh, I keep hearing, especially the Democrats, they keep going on and on about the illegal annexation of the Crimea. Um, it seems perfectly logical to me. I mean, uh, the Port of Silver Bowl, I can't pronounce it very good, but it's Russia's only warm water port. Um, uh, after the breakup of the Soviet Union, they had a 99-year lease on the port, and then when the government got changed, you know, they lost access to their port. It, you know, it seems completely logical, and we would have done the exact same thing in their shoes. Like if California ever succeeded from the Union, uh, does anybody think we'd actually give up the port of San Diego? Uh, Phil, your response to our caller. Yeah, um, using military force against a sovereign nation is sort of like war. I, I, th I think we set bad precedents when we go invade countries instead of negotiating but the russians are, are good at sort of doing that well, and then the ukrainians I, aren't in the least bit interested in negotiating they, they, get, they said get out of our port well fine and dandy i mean it's russia's only warm water port it, it seems completely utter logical to me i mean we had done the exact same thing in, in, david do you agree with that uh, i mean that from a strategic standpoint uh what russia did was uh was fine insofar as Kendall is concerned. Well, I think it's perfectly understandable why why Russia would want access to those ports. The question is how they go about obtaining that uh, access. 
uh, to use force and to invade a sovereign nation because uh, the Russians are not interested in negotiating or they don't like the terms that the Ukrainians are suggesting, I think is simply wrong. Uh, I don't think it's all. I also do not agree with the moral equivalency that the U.S. would simply barge in and take over uh, areas that we wanted to control uh, and the consequences be damned. Uh, we do have some semblance of international order, or at least we used to. Your reaction, Brian? Art do, do American citizens want to go to war with Russia over a port in, in Ukraine? I mean, it's wrong the way Russia goes about doing things. And they're doing it again now in another province. I think it's called Doma. And Zelensky's actually going to let the people there have a vote to decide where they want to go, which I think is the best way they can handle that. Uh, but it's like looking at, at Hong Kong or Taiwan. Are we willing to go to war with another country over that? Are we, I, I remember, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Republicans were accusing uh, Obama of being a Russian puppet with the way he was talking with Dmitry Medvedev from Russia. Russia and him not doing anything on Crimea, but we can't commit our troops everywhere around the world for that. Well, I, Brian, let me ask you a question. Do you think it is ever appropriate for the United States to exercise military force to protect uh, the treaties that we have with allies and engage in mutual defense? They'd have to make a really good case for it and get approval from Congress. I'm sure that those, those what about exist. treaties? What about treaties that have been duly ratified by the United States Senate? Well, uh, look, look at NATO. We have an obligation to defend Turkey, uh, you know, and, 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 and not, you know, fight with Turkey. So there's things that we're in, whether we like them or not, we may be obligated to do that. So legally, yes. Morally, ethically, well, that's up for debate on I each think, issue. I think what I find interesting in this, just taking a step back, is the outrage that people on the left side of the aisle and some moderate Republicans have toward what's what Russia is doing um, and Trump's response to what Russia is doing when during the Obama administration, you know, the Russian reset button that Hillary brought over to them they brought that out three weeks after Putin invaded Georgia. And it wasn't so much a concern what Georgia, what, what Russia was doing at that time. And it wasn't so much a concern what was going on in Ukraine. Hence, they didn't give them any aid for eight years. But when Trump comes to the fore and he becomes president, it is all of a sudden he's a, a, a puppet of Putin, which I find outrageous considering he murdered or had 200 of Putin's mercenaries murdered in Syria, affixed sanctions, and has armed Ukraine. But somehow uh, Trump is a, is a puppet of Putin, and we need to be concerned with Russian aggression, which was really not the case in the mainstream when Obama was in power uh, for eight years. And I find that to be pretty disingenuous. Kendall, I want to I go back to you to get your, your response to something. Of, uh, first of all, uh, how interested are you and how interested are the other 37 people uh, in your town? How much do they talk about national politics and how much do they talk about uh, the hearings and the impeachment? Do, do, do they care about it? Uh, I think we just assumed that when the Democrats took over the House, they were going to impeach Trump. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that was just a given. I, 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 I don't think the reason matters. Um, I have a, a neighbor who's extremely progressive, and she. I asked her straight up, uh, do you, would it matter to you if uh, they impeached Trump that you knew the, the reasons were completely false? Would it bother you at all? And she says no. Right. As long mm -hmm. as Trump's gone, they don't care. The reason, the facts don't matter at all in this, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the, the facts do matter, and we've had an abundance of them revealed during the hearings that we've just seen over the last couple of weeks. So I agree you shouldn't. All, they don't all agree with the facts. Though. Well, I, I, look. But, the, and they're still facts. Well, that you no. don't agree with well, something that's a fact we don't is, take a, is a problem. You know, it, it is true. amazing. It is amazing. Let's talk about facts for a moment. It is amazing with a word, an objective word like fact, and the media puts forward facts 
all the time. But when one person's, it's gotten to the point where one person's interpretation of a fact doesn't mean that it actually is a fact. I have already said that everybody, including Sondland, uh, has said, I presume, I presume, this was my impression. You had Adam Schiff and company ask people, what was your impression? What was your feeling? What was your view? Things that you never would hear in a courtroom to convict somebody. So we're going to talk about facts, left, right, and center, but we have to ask ourselves, who's facts? And, and it's not okay. just arguing with what is a fact or isn't a fact. It's people arguing, are the facts something that makes something impeachable? Is it that high of an offense? That, that's what the debate is at. And uh, let, let's be clear here. Impeachment is a political process. Yes, it is. So when we want to talk about rules and evidence and that, that's a non sequitur quite frankly, because it's political. So let's go by what the political rules of the game are, not what the legal jurisprudential rules of the game are. You don't get to have it both ways. And the the politics is the politics. It all feeds the court of public opinion, which is what this show is about. And again, Kendall, thank you very much for calling from uh, Dalton, South Dakota. Again, uh, first time we've heard from them, and we hope to see you again and bring your other 37... uh, fellow citizens uh, to the show next week, okay? Thanks for calling. Let's go to Phil in Downers Grove. You're on the air. Hi, Bruce. Hello. Hi. Love your show. Thank you. And I have a question for your panel because I'm really confused about this. Yeah. I watched Representative Stefanik question Ambassador Yovanovitch on PBS, okay? Mm-hmm. And what I got out of this is Yovanovitch confirmed during that questioning that the State Department was investigating Ukraine corruption and specifically Hunter Biden's conflict of interest during the Obama administration, okay? Yes. My question is this. If the previous administration was investigating this corruption, what is wrong with Trump asking about the same thing? Well, the, the answer is the Obama administration and during the time that Vice President Biden was in Ukraine, the investigation was going on into Burisma. It was not an investigation of the Bidens, and it was being conducted by a prosecutor. There was universal understanding that he was corrupt. So it was not a policy of the Obama administration to investigate uh, the Biden connection. There were questions raised about the propriety of I'm Hunter gonna, Biden working for the company. We, we got to stop. That's a, we that's got, a nepotism. Phil, so we're going to stop right now for a break, but stay on the line. We'll come back to you. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theaters, A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require E-Verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers count. So on back in Chicago, we've got uh, Phil calling from uh, Downers Grove. He's on the line with us. Phil, a follow-up on uh, what you've heard thus far. I... 
mean to repeat the question or what? No, did you uh, have any response? Because uh, David responded uh, to you. Do you have any further comment to make? Yeah, the comment I got is uh, when I watched that, they basically the ambassador confirmed that part of that was looking at Hunter Biden and the corruption. Specifically, she, she acknowledged that when she was questioned. Yes, she did that, and that was. Yet that wasn't necessarily big news to me. That was, to me, that was news. It didn't get a lot of a lot of play. Yeah, but what, again, the comment was that there were there were questions raised about the propriety of Hunter Biden yes. working in the firm. Was it a conflict of interest? Right. But no one has ever found or alleged that there was criminal uh, wrongdoing. No, going no on one. There. No one has. So no, the no, no one uh, that I have heard has said that. Other than it is the appearance of impropriety, right. and I think Phil. You know, a couple of weeks ago, kind of stunned me when he didn't think there's an appearance there. Uh, but I, a lot of other people who've had the Democratic seat uh, disagree with and, that. And, Phil, I think the, the, the difference here is that here we have a president of the United States who is pushing for investigations that could implicate his, one of his strongest political rivals. That is suggesting that a foreign nation should get involved in what uh, Dr. Hill described as a domestic political errand. That's the problem. Okay, listen, Phil, thank you very much for your, your call. We do appreciate it. Uh, we do have a uh, response here from uh, Grant listening to us. Uh, he said that uh, uh, he's very concerned about the way the Republicans seem to be taking the Soviet or the Russian disinformation and using it as part of their talking points. And he said, the news of this past week made clear there is nothing patriotic about supporting the Republican Party. David, well, you're a Republican. Yeah, I think that the point there is that, uh, as Dr. Hill made clear in her comments, this narrative is, a, is something that's been promulgated by the Russian security services themselves. And to the extent that we buy into it uncritically, we're helping to advance that narrative. That's not a good thing. I think we have to remember that the United States has had a long-standing position of skepticism uh, when we're dealing with Russia because their interests are antithetical to the United States. And administration after administration, Republican and Democrat, have upheld those principles. And suddenly we see a weakening of that resolve, apparently, which as a Republican who believes in domestic security and believes that the United States has a role to play in confronting Russian aggression, that concerns me greatly. During, uh, during the election of 2016, however, Donald Trump was very clear that he just said, we don't necessarily have to be enemies with everybody. We can talk with everybody. And clearly his, his message to the voters was, you know, we, we can be friends with, you know, with Russia. He said that we can be friends with everybody. Korea. So my question to you is, now, Republican voters heard that. They also heard for years, uh, you know, John McCain, who was certainly was a was a war hawk when it came to the Russians. He thought they were the world's worst people on the face of the earth. Uh, and Republican primary voters had a chance to vote, and they did, and they nominated Donald Trump. And Donald Trump made the same case during the campaign, and Donald Trump became president of the United States. So aren't there a number of people out there who agree with the president's position and may disagree with your position. Absolutely. But there's a difference between sharing the president's skepticism toward involvement in foreign affairs and trying to uh, uh, 
sort of create a better relationship with Russia and giving away the store when it comes to policy and helping Vladimir Putin advance his strategic interests. Where when, has he done that in your well, view? For example, when the Syria. president, when the, well, is Syria for sure, because we've had a policy of supporting the Kurds. The president abruptly withdrew the military security assistance, which allowed the Russian forces free reign to go in there and to begin slaughtering the Kurdish forces that had been helping us, don't forget, maintain a kind of a safe zone in northern Syria. That and the fact that you have the president going to Helsinki and on a stage with Vladimir Putin saying, I don't really think that the uh, combined judgment of my own security forces is correct. I believe Vladimir Putin when he talks about Russia's non-interference in our elections. So That, I, that I, is not helpful. So I know I sound like a throwback here to some like Cold War era. The Russians are not our friends. Full stop. And anybody who believes that, I'm going to question their patriotism. They are not our friends. Their interests are opposite our interests. So to anybody what, who is what, supportive of them, what, I don't. I can't, I can't understand. I can't to wrap what, my head around that. To, to what extent do we take that mm-hmm. and and move towards a a possible conflict with the Soviet Union or Russia, rather? At what point do we say, you know what, we agree with that, but you know what, we got. Push has come to shove here, and it's time for us to get the troops and send send the boys off right. to fight somewhere. Do we do it or not? I mean, Democrats usually have been opposed to that because I think the, the, the tough-talking rhetoric against the Russians mm-hmm. generally have come from Republicans with a with also some hawks within the Democratic Party, virtually all of whom so, are gone. So what I understand about going, going to war, and I, I hope, the civilians in the in the audience and on the panel understand this. The military is the last people who want to go to war. I understand. I am one of those people that I do not want to use military force because that means our diplomacy has failed. And so all the stuff leading up to that needs to be better done. If that's sanctions, which eh, that may work, if it's international pressure, if it, whatever it is, that's the last option. And if that's the last option and we got to do that, then it's going to depend on where. Do you believe there are forces on Earth, and I'm not limiting this to Russia, do you believe there are forces on Earth that no matter what, they're not going to accept diplomacy? And the only way you're going to get their attention is a slap to the head. Mm-hmm. Like Kim Jong-un? Perhaps. Yeah. I believe that there's... Or in the Middle East? China. No, China... I don't think China would understand force. China plays the long game. They're better at playing the long game than we are. So uh, force for them, is, I think, is only domestic. I want to hear from our other side of the family. What I wanted to ask um, uh, you, Phil, about... Like, regarding Syria, we had troops there, and it wasn't even that really many that were in that northern part. 2,000. But, but the question is, how? what are they there for? Are they there to guard against Turkey, or are they there to stop Iranian influence, or is it Russian influence? Was it against, uh, uh, you know, Assad's Syrian government, or was it there to support uh, the Syrian uh, defense forces, the ones that we weren't fighting against, but the ones that we armed? What exactly were we doing there, and what what were our specific interests at that point, or was it just supporting the Kurds? And the Kurds have multiple issues yes, too. And multiple factions. There's a lot of things going on in there. So so what? what it, it, you you could make a case for us fighting against Russia and being a Russian puppet based from week to week. And, and I'm asking this because I don't even know exactly what our what our plan was from Obama through to Trump. 
it's kind of a mess. I got to take a call. Tom, uh, listening to us in Sharon, Pennsylvania, on WPIC. Go ahead. Good evening, Bruce, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, Thank you. and Same your panel, and everyone there. Same to you. Um, and, and there's, I have two requests, and I hope uh, if, you, if we run in a break that you hold me over. The first one is for Jennifer, and Jennifer, I really appreciate your being there. And you're holding up the Trump side of the argument very well. Um, Roger Stone was convicted seven uh, in all seven counts mm-hmm. by a jury pool in Washington D.C. that voted, or at least they're registered. Ninety-three uh, percent of them voted for Hillary and seven percent for Trump. What's wrong with that picture? I think we need a change of venue for all these trials that are going on regarding this political issues from Washington, D.C. to a federal court where it's more 50-50 or at least far less 93-7. to That's point one. Let's let everybody respond to that. What do you think, Jennifer? I have never heard that point made before. Um, You know, we all know the concept of... uh, moving a trial to an area that isn't... um, Change of venue. Yeah, change of venue. Thank you. Um, But that takes a defense, Roger Stone's defense or other people's defense, uh, Paul Manafort's defense. It takes a savvy defense. And that argument that you just made, I think that that was an argument that maybe should have been made because, yes, in D.C. and New York, there were a couple trials that took place in New York. These are areas that are, pardon the expression, hotbeds of anti-Trump and anti-Republican feeling. So I think you have an interesting point. Phil, what do you you think about that idea? I I am not familiar enough with the, the jurisprudence that says that political ideology should be a consideration in a trial. Um, I I get that you're supposed to get a trial by a jury of your peers, Mm -hmm. and those. my understanding of that peerage is that it's geographical, and that's where the crimes were purported to have taken place, and so you get the jury that you get. David Cohen. I I think it's ludicrous to speculate about the political leanings of those who were selected for the jury pool. But secondly, we have to point out that in a criminal trial, such as the one that Roger Stone underwent, there is a process of voir dire where the the counsel on both sides have an opportunity to interview the witnesses Mm -hmm. to try and see if they have any political bias. Do you have any background that might render you incapable of of offering a fair and unbiased judgment on these facts. So unless you're suggesting that our jury trial system itself is non-functional, I I just don't see how that is. Can you say OJ trial? Uh, Yeah, but I mean, even even there, I mean, you're mixing apples and oranges here. I don't think I am because the the, uh, inspector general uh, has already uh, actually referred several people for uh, trials, and there's a Kevin Kleinsmith, and Bruce is where you come, come in. If you could get Dan Flynn, who's a senior editor of the American Spectator, because he just recently wrote an article in the American Spectator entitled, CNN Bombshell, FBI Lawyer Altered FISA Warrant. And he contends that this uh, Kevin Kleinsmith and several other people not only were on the investigation for Hillary's email server, but also on the Trump-Russia collusion situation. And Tom, we got a break. Uh, we'll be back. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. 
time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up or donate at Movember.com to help change the face of men's health. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives like physical therapy to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll go to calls uh, in just a moment. But I want to talk about some other big issues. And, and uh, uh, Phil, I know you feel strongly about uh, the issue involving the president and his, uh, uh, his actions uh, recently with the three members of the military who've been charged with either you know, crimes against society or certainly against a violation of the uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice. Uh, you're, uh, you're appalled by it. And uh, so much so that the Secretary of Navy has said uh, that he's uh, going to be out the door because he doesn't like what the president's up to. Tell us about the importance of this story, in your opinion, and I don't want to let everybody weigh in on it. Since the uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice was um, sort of implemented in 1950, it has been that with the manual court-martial and uh, military rules of evidence, been the documents for jurisprudence for the military. Military law is different than civilian law. Right. And one of the, the key things that the military has to maintain is good order and discipline. Breakdown in good order and discipline leads to a rabble. That we can't have in our military. So the UCMJ does have its political elements. I grant you that. There have been instances there were two F-16 pilots from the Illinois National Guard, for example, who were involved in, a, in an incident in Afghanistan that killed um, some Canadian soldiers, and Canada wanted some accountability. And so these pilots were court-martialed. Unfortunately, it's, it's what Clausewitz called friction. It's the stuff that ha- we don't plan for that happens in war, and yet the political consequence was we had two of our, of our pilots court-martialed for their actions in combat. So, yes, there are political court-martials, but generally they are to maintain good order and discipline. The president of the United States is the commander-in-chief, granted, and leaders who actually understand leadership don't do things because they can. They do things because they should. And what the commander-in-chief should do is trust the process. That system... Has, is a very effective, very efficient system of meeting out justice. And if those are the determinations that those court marshals d- decided, you go with that. Because at the end of the day, by law, every court martial is reviewed in the Court of Military Appeals anyway. Right. And the point that Phil's <laughs> making here is that uh, since the UCMJ was adopted, that there has been a very strong prohibition, indeed a tradition, of presidents not inserting themselves into the military justice system. Um, for President Trump to do this is something that is disturbing people in the military leadership across the board. 
Uh, it's really just a question of whether the commander-in-chief is going to allow the military system of justice to work its process as it has for many decades. Uh, it's really not a partisan issue. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's a question of how does our civilian command authority interact with the military uh, uh, leadership. And when it comes to military justice matters, it's been a hands-off policy. Your reaction, Jennifer? Uh, my understanding, and I haven't been following this too closely, um, unfortunately, but my understanding is that this uh, Spencer, uh, Commander Spencer, was fired by the Navy Secretary, if I'm correct on that, because he went to the president in contravention of his public statements. He went to the president and tried to make a, a that's, backdoor that's, that's deal. A, that's violating the chain of command. That's a different question. We're talking about the president's insertion into the uh, sanctions that are being proposed for this Navy SEAL and countermanding that. What you're talking about is the dismissal of a of mm -hmm. a uh, official within DOD for going outside the chain of command. That's a different question. Well, I, it's a different question, but I think it is somewhat related because this individual was terminated you know, I think the impression might be out there that Trump terminated this person or that, the, you know, this person um, quit in protest, resigned in protest, but he was, in fact, fired because he tried to do a backdoor deal with the president, which the president rejected. So, but not saying your point is invalid, but I'm just adding that. But part of, part of this discussion, it seems to me, is that you uh, you, you have the, uh, the, the, the wife of, of at least mm -hmm. one of these participants, uh, she was on Fox News all the time. Yes, I mean, she was. she was going out in the public making her case, much like Patty Blagojevich has done that in making the case for Rod Blagojevich to be, uh, uh, you know, pardoned, pardoned by yes. by the president. And the point is, by using the uh, the court of public opinion, uh, that is meant, at least in the people that do it, it's meant to usurp the military code of of and uh, military it, and it justice. Undermines military and under, authority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It undermines them. Let it turns everything into a, po a, a, a political right. football, and that's not what the UCMJ and not what military justice mm -hmm. is about. If that happens once, it continues to happen again and again. I think self-regulation of the military, they can handle it fine on their own. Okay. Let's move on. Thanks very much. Uh, let's go to Diane listening to us in San Francisco. She's listening to us on KTKZ. Go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, hey. Well, this kind of goes back to – this is – goes back to something you were talking about earlier. And it's like, you know, when Schiff came out and we had all those hearings and stuff, it's like all the opinions and the commentary are based only on Schiff allowing Democrat witnesses and questions. And that is hardly open debate. And it's like really necessary for conservatives to question witnesses and put up their own um, ideas. Um, their own questions, and <clears throat> it's like everything is directed to undermine President Trump, Trump, including the media. Everything is directed to undermine President Trump, not to get at truth. But, uh, uh, Diane, let me ask this based on the hearings that I have watched over the last couple of weeks. And I agree with you that, that Adam Schiff has not given the Republicans the wish list of witnesses that they would like to bring forward. And, and many of those that have come forward uh, have been subpoenaed to do so. So they're not doing it voluntarily. The Democrats have had an opportunity uh, to question those uh, witnesses after usually a lengthy uh, opening statement. And then they have gone back and forth and they've let the Republicans uh, interrogate these same people. How is that not letting the Republicans 
question what the witnesses have said. Well, because I think, number one, Schiff will cut them off if, um, if they go... If their time goes over, which well, is clear, yeah. which is the... Demo- I mean, I mean go, go ahead, go, but go ahead with your point. I mean, if they go over time, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I think both sides have been uh, told to wrap it up. Well, it's just my opinion that <clears throat> he doesn't allow their witnesses, any witnesses, to counter witnesses he wants to bring up. And <clears throat> that's just my opinion. And I think... No, I think th- there's there's reason to believe that. I'm just... I'm, well, I'm, I'm, question- all, I'm just questioning whether or not the Republican members of the House uh, have been able to utilize their time wisely. And like anything else, there are people that I think do a good job and there are people that, that don't do a very good job. I think I think Jim Jordan. A lot of Democrats say yeah. Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan comes to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and and by the way, the Republicans who were on the committees of jurisdiction did have an opportunity to question all the witnesses during their depositions that were held behind well, closed doors that preceded the hearings. They did, but I I think speaking to Diane's point, there's a couple things that happened. I think the Republicans were brilliant in questioning uh, these witnesses so much so that the hearings did not go the way the Democrats would have liked them to go. But speaking. Speaking to Diane's point, there were two things that were fundamentally unfair, and I think a lot of people, the casual observer, uh, might come away with this. The wish list that the Republicans put forward, they got nobody on that wish list. So it wasn't even let me meet you halfway. It was get out of here with that list. We're not putting one of your people up, which is patently unfair. Secondly, when it came to questioning the witnesses, the uh, Republican questioners were not allowed under Schiff's rules to yield back the remainder of their time to another sitting representative. This is why they had a scuffle uh, during the hearing. They could only yield back their time to Republican counsel. So there were two changes here that any person looking at this would say, you know what, that wasn't very magnanimous of you. Here we are trying to remove a president from uh, your opposition party, and you're not exactly uh, making it um, hospitable uh, to the other side and giving the appearance, which I think would have been very important for them, giving the appearance of, hey, we are going to give you every opportunity, Republicans, to participate in this unencumbered. And they Was didn't that do a mistake, that. Uh, look, uh, look first, first of all, I have to correct the record here, Jennifer. The rules of engagement at the hearings were the same for the Republicans and the Democrats. Yes, you had a chairman, uh, Congressman Schiff, in charge with the gavel running the committee, but none, he could not cede time to other Democrats just as Mr. Nunes could not cede time to Republicans. The rules were exactly the same for both sides. Secondly, after that period of questioning where it was only the chair or the ranking member and their respective counsels who got to engage the witnesses, individual members of the committee also got time on an equal basis to question the witnesses. Why so, don't you tell us why the Republicans didn't get anybody on their list, not a uh, single one? Well, the, the Democrats declined to agree to issue a subpoena for Hunter Biden, for example, uh, or for others who, you know, and this, the, the, by the way, the no, rules... There are other people on that but list. The, but the rules under which the hearings were conducted, the, the mm-hmm. rules under which these hearings were conducted were adopted very early on and approved by Republicans, and they're, this, they're very similar to the rules that were used during the Clinton impeachment. I know because I was there. So I, I guess what, what just baffles me is, I thought we established this is a political process. Yes. And in political processes, when you have the votes... 
That's all that matters. Right. And talking about being magnanimous, the, the, the animosity that is clear in the House didn't start in 2019. Yes, it is, started a while this ago. It's all very interesting because according it, to the Democrats, they say that this isn't, they say it's not a political process. They say it's about protecting democracy and we are doing our constitutional duty and that even if it costs us elections, and I'm sure the moderate Democrats are like, wait a minute, what are you saying? Even if it costs us elections, we must do the right thing. If that's how you feel, then you ought to let the Republicans put up any witness they darn well want. Well, they will be able to do that At if the indeed trial. There is a trial in the Senate. At you the will trials. get a lot more Can't involvement than some of these other people that don't want to talk. They too will be subpoenaed. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border and around the world on BeyondTheBeltway.com and all of the great radio stations that you're listening to us on. Thank you. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theaters, a Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. When someone hears the words, you have cancer, it's one of the darkest moments in their life. Light the Night brings light to the darkness of cancer by uniting survivors, patients, and supporters in the cause to end cancer. We form a community of hope, raising funds in support of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The discoveries made by LLS-supported research have led to breakthrough treatments for many cancers and other serious diseases. When we walk, cancer runs. Join the movement to end cancer today. Visit us at lightthenight.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Uh, I want to hear about uh, Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg is about to spend uh, $50 million on television advertising, which is more than all the Democrats have spent thus far on advertising. And although there are many people that may not know who Michael Bloomberg is now, Michael Bloomberg is in there to, uh, I guess, to, to rough up the uh, the turf and make things difficult for Donald Trump. Uh, can he make a difference? I'll ask our Democrat, Phil. You see, is, is there are there people crying for Michael Bloomberg to get in this race? I, I don't think there, that he'll get any traction um, in terms of grassroots or popular support. I think we're depending on what his strategic positioning is around his messaging being, you know, sort of anti-Trump, New Yorker to New York or whatever, however, or now yeah. New Yorker to Floridian or whatever that is now, um, <laughs> that may get some traction. But I'm, I don't think that he gets traction as a candidate. David, what about uh, Beyond his ability to self-fund and get his message out, I don't understand what part of the constituency is he appealing to. I Moderate mean, Republicans? Uh, I guess, but, you know, I just, I just don't see... I'd have to hear a little bit more about how he's planning to approach this because we're we're pretty far into the campaign and nomination process here. And and he's a late entry. Obviously, he's a known figure, but I don't really see what he brings substantively that's different to the race. I think Our libertarian. His, his logo gives me a migraine. I think it's awful. Uh, the thing that I noticed about him— I should dismiss him right, right there. Absolutely. His logo. That's how I Bad graphics. It the looks, campaign never overcame bad graphics. Bullet, you'll see people if you see that logo. Uh, the thing that I that I saw about him recently was him apologizing for, and walking back uh, the stop and frisk 
thing that, that you know, he was attached to, he was famous for. And I've got a lot of issues with him, libertarians in general, for a lot of his uh, atrocities. But the stop and frisk, that was a big thing. That's something that people, whether they're in city or they're in flyover country of the rest of the country, nobody can get behind the idea uh, of that. And I think that was a problem. The fact that he's walking it back already shows what else is he willing to backtrack on that he did when he was in New York. Yeah, see, as usual, I have a totally different take on that. I think when he backtracked on the stop and frisk, he just pulled the plank out of the moderate uh, position or going after the moderates. Because when you look at his positions, uh, very into climate change, uh, very anti-gun, pro-choice up one side and down the other, he's not a moderate. But the one thing that he did do um, that Republicans might stand up and take notice of is bringing down crime in the Big Apple. And how did he do that? Well, a lot of people credit to stop and frisk. So when he went and apologized for that, I thought, well, that's the end of that. Because Despite that it being is not unconstitutional, do you think that's going to appeal I'm to conservatives? I'm not talking about constitutional or unconstitutional or anything. I'm talking about the perception when you're going after a voting segment, which he clearly is. What voting but segment is can he go? It's Folks, not going to work now. Okay, I don't Back think it's to call. Work. Scott in Austin, Texas on KLBJ. Go ahead. How you doing, Bruce? I'm doing uh, fine. I've got a question. Yeah, thank you, sir. Uh, I have a question for you, and I was going to kind of see, uh, like, uh, what y'all's opinion was on. Do you think that it's a good idea that we just let anybody off the streets run to be able to run this country? Or do you think that, you know, maybe we should have a law to where you at least got to serve this country or... Um, you know, uh, you know, kind of in that general neighborhood. I do not. Uh, I do not believe there should be any requirement for military service to run for political office. I do believe, as I think has been the case for umpteen years now, it's one of the factors that people look at when they are determining who they will vote for to nominate of the Republican or Democratic Party. And I think it's a, it's a valid point. And uh, I think that uh, you know, serving. By the way, uh, this is a point. Serving in the military, and and again, the big point is that you know Pete Buttigieg served in the military. Tulsi Gabbard served in the military. I'm not so sure that serving in the military at the level and rank of Pete Buttigieg all of a sudden makes you ready to be the commander in chief. I just don't. I don't believe that. No, we're that, not. To, we're not talking about Eisenhower here. Yeah, that, that's correct. But I, I do, and I don't think that we should have a necessarily another requirement. I can tell you this. When I was working on Capitol Hill, members of the House and the Senate collectively had something like 6 to 8 percent of the body had military service backgrounds. The figure today is lower than 3 percent. And whether it's for the Congress or for the presidency, I think it is a a consideration to be weighed by voters whether somebody who's seeking these leadership positions has an understanding of what it means to serve, what it means to be in combat, and what it means to obey a chain of command and have respect for the rule of law. Because I think those are values that our military upholds on a daily basis. The men and women who are defending our constitutional liberties around the globe do have, I think, some unique insights that help them Mm -hmm. if they should choose to go into public service. Mark and Carmel California listening to us on KION. Go ahead, California. Hey, Bruce. So, um, listen, I, I caught the news at the break, and Nancy is backpedaling like crazy on this thing. I think she realizes they on have which a thing? circular firing squad. <laughs> I think she means going to the Senate. Yeah. They have a circular firing squad going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't see this coming to an impeachment vote because, frankly, they're scared to death of a Senate thing that Mitch has already said he's going to drag out to six or eight weeks. And they can call whoever they want during the mm-hmm. trial, 
And so I think uh, even Obama weighed on, in on this last week by saying, whoa, guys, you go going way too left, way too fast. And I believe we saw a correction today. I caught the news at the break, which you guys don't hear. Yeah. And they're going, uh, Pelosi's kind of backing off on this whole impeachment thing. And uh, Is she talking Pelosi- censure then? Well, I, hey, fine, censure. Quick, I want to I want to ask our Democrat: Would a would a censure against the president? To what extent would that appease uh, the, the the hard anti-Trumpers within the party? It won't. It won't. No. Okay. It won't. Lindsey Lindsey Graham was already bringing up uh, getting some paperwork on Hunter Biden's case to bring in for the Senate already. I think it was just yesterday. Yeah. Well, he definitely we, definitely will see. I, I believe we will see impeachment votes on the House. Whether articles are adopted is another question. I agree with you on that. All right. On that moment of agreement on our program, we thank uh, David Cohn from the Union League Club. David, always a pleasure to have you here and bring your congressional expertise. Thank you. Philip Beverly, thank you very much from the University of Illinois at Chicago. Jennifer Nevins, world, um, the world's famous uh, nationalist, uh, pro-Trumper. And, of course, Brian Lambert, the world's most famous Uber driver, libertarian from DuPage County. We thank you all for being with us. Our thanks to Hector Pacheco and uh, Anthony Marshall. I'm sorry, Andrew Marshall. <laughs> And Fritz, who was that other guy? Fritz Goldman. We thank you all. Uh, there's no D in the name. It's Goldman. Goldman, Goldman. I'm Bruce Dumont. So long. We'll see you next week. Until that time, this is Bruce Dumont. Good night from sh- Chicago. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theaters, A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. The economy is not working for everybody especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers count. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up or donate at Movember.com to help change the face of men's health. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. 
Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theater's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. When someone hears the words, you have cancer, it's one of the darkest moments in their life. Light the Night brings light to the darkness of cancer by uniting survivors, patients, and supporters in the cause to end cancer. We form a community of hope, raising funds in support of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The discoveries made by LLS-supported research have led to breakthrough treatments for many cancers and other serious diseases. When we walk, cancer runs. Join the movement to end cancer today. Visit us at lightthenight.org.